Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wool on us. Fighting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. I talk a lot on the podcast and on the site as well about the importance of things like decentralization and protocols over platforms. And sometimes people people will challenge me on that, perhaps rightfully. Uh, and the arguments that I often hear are that uh, users don't care. And it's true that they don't care about underlying technologies or protocols, but I think they very much do care about the end user experience. And a key part of the reason why I think those underlying principles are so important is because they actually allow for multiple third parties to build on and improve those experiences and to experiment with different versions of it and try different things. And you get a lot more experimentation. You get a lot more different differentiation. And therefore, I think in the end, the end users actually end up with a much better experience. And that's what the original internet was like in certain ways, where anyone could jump in and help make other products better, creating a new UI, extending features, etc. But really, over the last two decades, unfortunately, much of the internet has moved to silos and moated off castles uh, with attempts to limit what other people could build. And that's one of the reasons why I was really excited a couple of years ago to learn about Beeper. Uh, Beeper is trying to build a universal chat app that brings together all the different messaging apps that uh, you use into a single, really nice user interface that just works. Uh, there have been some attempts to do this in the past, and every time I mention Beeper to people, they'll bring up names from the distant, distant past. Uh, I hear things about Trillion and Pigeon, and I remember experimenting with those, and Let's face it, they sucked. They were not that good. Uh, Beeper really seems to be uh, to, to be the one that's doing this right. Uh, and it's the first sort of serious new entrant that I've seen in this space in a long time. And I think, and we'll find out, but I think that they really took to heart the idea that I expressed at the beginning of this intro, that they could improve on those other services and just make an overall better product. Uh, so... Anyway, um, I will note that, of course, when companies are building up these new services with moats, not Beeper, the other services that I'm talking about, they often don't want third parties to build those bridges. And uh, Beeper recently got into a bit of an unfortunate battle with Apple. Uh, and we will talk about that in a moment. Uh, the company and the service was founded by Eric Minchikovsky who first got my attention, I guess, nearly a decade ago when he brought Pebble, uh, the Pebble watch to life, effectively inventing the entire market category of the smartwatch. And I will say, uh, personally, convincing me that uh, how useful a smartwatch could be, because I did not believe it until I backed the original uh, Pebble Kickstarter and uh, on a whim, kind of. And then when I got it, it was just like, oh, hey, now I get it. Anyways, that company had its ups and downs uh, before eventually selling to Fitbit. And so Beeper is quite a second act. And I am excited to talk to Eric about what he's trying to accomplish. So, Eric, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you, Mike. So, 
let's start out with, uh, I guess let's just start out with the overall vision for Beeper. What, what is it that you're trying to do with Beeper? What's, what's the goal here? Well, Beeper started originally to solve a personal problem. I would look down at my phone and see a folder full of chat apps. Uh Each of these apps kind of did the same thing, except a different subset of my contact list was present on each one. And this is kind of a a factor of, you know, I'm a Canadian who lives in the States. I've lived in Europe. I've spent a lot of time in Asia. And over over those kind of phases of my life, I've collected friends on every single damn chat app. <laughs> and uh, you, you mentioned like Trillion and Adium and Game. We had these services uh, 10, 15 years ago. The problem is even worse now. Yeah. There's 15, 20, 30 different chat networks and they're all bifurcated with uh, a different slice of the you know world's population on each one. And I just looked at that and said, no more. I want, I want something. I want one app that I could use to chat with all of my friends. And there was no app that could do that uh, when I started working on this in 2019. Um, the other kind of real impetus for starting this was I, um, I learned about a open source chat protocol called Matrix. Mm-hmm. So... Matrix, um, you may have heard of it, but you can kind of think of it like a spiritual successor to XMPP or Mm -hmm. Jabber. It's a federated, uh, decentralized, open source chat protocol. Um, And it started about, I think, 2016. So by 2019, it was starting to get mature. But I think one of the key insights uh, the creators of Matrix had was that it's really hard to launch a new chat app from scratch, new chat protocol from scratch. So they introduced the concept of these things called bridges. And a bridge in matrix terminology is a link between matrix and another chat protocol. Their, I think, key insight was that in order to bootstrap a new chat protocol in the late 2010s was to make it backwards compatible with other chat protocols. Um, so that people could gradually kind of onboard and 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 gather more of their contacts onto this new chat protocol without sacrificing the connections that they've had to to others. And many other chat protocols or, or new chat networks have done this as a means of bootstrapping their own uh, kind of network. The best examples are Signal and iMessage, which both piggybacked on top of SMS um, until you could kind of get enough of your contacts onto that onto that network. Uh, and so Beeper is built on top of Matrix. Um, another kind of key reason why we decided to, to do that is, um, do you remember the XKCD comic yeah. where- uh, <laughs> I was just thinking there's, of- Well, there's a couple, yes. there's a couple. So this okay. one, the one that I'm thinking of is like, you know, if you have 10 standards- That's the one. And you're like, yeah. oh man, we got to- There's also the chat, the chat app one too, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but this one is like, you know, there's 11 standards. We need to- you know, solve this, let's create a 12th standard that incorporates all of them. But the problem is now you have 12 standards. So I really (laughs) took that to heart. And I said, we didn't need to build yet another chat protocol. Yep. Um, We could use, you know, a perfectly good existing encrypted open source chat protocol like Matrix. 
Yeah. And, and Matrix has always been interesting. I mean, you know, not always, but, you know, since it's been around. And like I had played around with Matrix, I don't know, like four or five years ago, a little bit. And, and there was, and then, um, you know, it, it, it was the, the, uh, when, when Twitter was first planning Blue Sky, they, they were having the original, they like brought in all these people who were thinking I think there was a bake off. Yeah. yeah, they had the, the exactly. They had this Bake Off thing, and and but the conversation was happening in Matrix. Um, and then what was funny was afterwards when when Blue Sky, you know, sort of once they then formed it, they launched a Discord, which I thought was strange. And then there was like all these arguments <laughs> about Discord versus Matrix. And then of course somebody built a bridge between the two, so you could participate in the the what was then the blue sky discord and then eventually sort of just splintered off uh, via matrix because people are like we should be using matrix for this so yes <laughs> it's it's an interesting protocol but it was always like a question of of what is the you know what's the actual use case how are people actually going to use it and and it struck me that like beeper was one of the first ones that i saw like actually you know really built something interesting on it that that a lot of people wanted to use i think the the, the overarching idea here is that we live in the future. Yeah. And for some reason, the way that we communicate doesn't feel like the future. It feels like this <laughs> archaic, like you said, siloed. Yeah. Uh, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kind of voracious science fiction fan. And I love reading, you know, optimistic, less optimistic yep. visions of the future. But in, you know, I'm just rereading the, uh, the three body problem. Uh, yes. uh, and there's, you know, not to spoil it too much, but <laughs> man, I hope, hope that people have read it by now, but there's, you know, communication with aliens and they don't talk about the protocol. They don't talk about <laughs> how this happens. It's just, you communicate. That's, that's how, like, yeah. that's what humans and I guess aliens do is we communicate. We don't need to get caught up in this minutia of which, application and which protocol people are using, you should just be able to communicate with your friends and family in an encrypted manner yeah, uh, with no questions. And that is at the core, what we're working on at Beeper. Our vision for the future is to create a system that a chat, a chat you know, system that people can use to just communicate with anyone they want to with right. no friction and, uh, you know, as encrypted and as seamless as possible. Yeah. And, um, yeah, though that gives me an idea for like a satirical science fiction novel in which protocols, <laughs> different protocols. Become... There's probably already a Philip K. Dick version. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Probably. Um, anyways, yeah, and so like you know, I started, I I got on the the Beeper waitlist way back when, and and got in and started using the app. I think around May, probably around May was when I first started using it. And immediately was just like, that's it. Like, this is, this is so much better. Um, and, and just sort of consolidated my messaging so that it all ran through beeper. Um, and it, it was really, you know, it, it was, it was fantastic. I recommended it to lots of other people and, uh, you have the, um, I, I, do you still have any wait list or is the wait list to totally gone now? We have a, gigant a gigantic wait list right now. We're, oh, okay. we're working our asses off right now <laughs> to just get the kind of final pieces in place to be able to take the wait list off and to okay. launch this publicly. Um, 
but yeah, that is the number one thing that we're working on right now. Got it. Got it. Because I, I've I've brought some people in because if you're in there, you can you can pass along invites to folks, and um, yeah. that's that's been a, a handy. The biggest the biggest thing we're actually working on right now is um, is how do we construct the right business model to support this? Right. So people are not necessarily accustomed to paying for chat. Right. But we think it's very important to form. Uh, upfront, a relationship that kind of clearly defines a customer and a kind of vendor in this relationship. Right. Chat is immensely personal. It's your personal connections to your friends, your family, your colleagues. And up until now, chat has been treated as a a side, you know, a sideshow for yeah. most of these big tech companies that control huge swaths of the chat ecosystem. So if you look at the top players like iMessage, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, um, and that's that's in the US, that's those are the primary networks. Right. And SMS, you know, through right. Google Messages. None of those are paid apps. They're all offered for free, mostly mm-hmm. to support some other business. And these large tech companies love this because chat is such a positive way to lock people into your platform. Yeah. Um, you know, you love chatting with your friends and when you see a notification come in from your friends, you're very likely to tap on that notification, um, which then in turn keeps you kind of like, it gives you that dopamine hit. It gives you that kind of positive connection, which keeps you locked in to that platform that you're using to chat with your friends, whichever one you happen to use when you met that person or when you started that group chat. Um, we, on the other hand, are, uh, are saying, you know, there's the protocol and then there's the client that you use to access that protocol. Right. Um, you kind of mentioned in the intro, but over the last 10 or 15 years, those two things have been mapped one-to-one. Yep. You can only use the WhatsApp app to access the WhatsApp network. You can only use the iMessage app to access the iMessage network. And because of that linkage, there's been a dearth of innovation in how the user interface and the experience and the features of chat has evolved. And if you kind of contrast this to email, Mm -hmm. uh, email for some reason, you know, is an open protocol, an open standard, a public standard, and even the biggest players in email not only allow third-party clients, they encourage it. Yeah. And part of that reason is there is a paid relationship. Um, for example, with Gmail, you pay for additional storage, or mm-hmm. in my case, I pay for Google. I don't know, what do they call it these days? Is it Google Apps or Google whatever? Uh, yeah, it keeps changing, so I'm not even sure. I still call it Google Apps for the domain, right. which is a, very, a big mouthful, but I don't know what it's called now. <laughs> um, and so because of that kind of very clear... Uh, I mean, they also sell ads, but I, I, I believe the majority of Gmail's revenue comes from people buying Google yes. Workspace. Yeah. Uh, that's what it's called, Workspace subscriptions. Yeah. And, you know, they allow third-party clients to connect in. And there's, you know, a cornucopia of interesting and new takes on email. Yeah. You know, I'm a superhuman user, but I've seen people use Spark. Um, I was a diehard Google inbox user back in the day, you know, RIP. (laughs) Yeah. And that hasn't happened in chat. There's been no innovation in terms of alternative or interesting or new ways to imagine chat. 
until Beeper came along. Yeah. And so for the first time, we've built a alternative client for the 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 chat networks that you uh, that you use. Yeah, and it it is interesting, right? Because um, there, I have a bunch of different questions. I can go in a bunch of different directions on this, but like the um, the email example is one that like I go back to all the time when talking about decentralized and federated services, and and yet like sometimes I wonder if if that's the anomaly, right? That we haven't really seen these these other ones come about. Um, but it is interesting to think about, and we're starting. I would argue that it's not actually like telephone is another good example. Yeah. SMS is a good example. Um, uh, there's many, many services that have kind of flourished and yeah, but, taken but advantage of federated more I recent, mean, more recently. Right. I mean, I'm like, I, I want to believe that, like I'm, I'm telling lots of people that and trying to convince them of that, but like, it doesn't feel like, I mean, even SMS, well, since the mobile, since the shift to mobile in 2008, right. Uh, the prevailing, the, the default has been these siloed private right. platforms up until crypto, up until right. 2016, 2017, when the script got flipped and there was kind of a clear distinction between the, uh, I can't remember the crypto words for this, but it's like the protocol layer and the application layer right. or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it actually reminds me, we did a podcast and I, I, I couldn't even tell you the year, but it may have been like 10 years ago, it may have been 2014, that was literally like trying to think through like, has any new protocol been successful in, you know, when was the last time like you, you thought about a new protocol? And like the one that we were, the only one that, that we could think of as, as being a relatively new one that had received wide adoption at the time was like Bitcoin because almost, yeah. almost nothing else, you know, you had to go back at least a decade before you were finding anything. Um, but it's interesting to see that yeah. like, we're, it feels like we're in this moment where we can move back towards more, more open protocols for things. Um, I think that, I think that at the end of the day, we, as the people that are pushing the idea for an open standard for these um, these protocols, need to actually present a better user experience and a better interface. Yeah. Like, there's there's no one who's going to hand this to you on a silver platter. It's not going to be yep. an easy you know an easy win. It needs to come through a positive vision for the future. Yep. And 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 the, you know one of the things that I keep arguing, and because you know because I. I wrote this paper in, in 2019, which is like the protocols, not platforms paper, which was part of like the, the blue sky inspiration stuff. And, and, you know, people kept telling me like the problem with protocols is that like, they're all annoying, right? That, that like people have to figure out how to configure stuff and it's a pain and the UIs always lag behind and the centralized providers are always going to do a better job. But I was like, I, that doesn't need to be the case. Like we can point to many examples of that being true, but, but, you know, we're in this time where we should be able to make like much better UIs, like take the lessons from what the big centralized players have done and that they build these sort of easy systems. And, and to some extent, I think that's what you've done with Beeper, right? I mean, because it's, it is a nice, clean, it's a, it's a lovely app to use um, and in many ways better than the, the, the actual underlying siloed versions of the, of the messaging apps. And so I think you've sort of proven out that you can, like you can build a good user experience on something that is more decentralized, that is, is, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, a, a protocol, something built on top of different protocols. Um, so let me go back to the the business model question because you you brought that up, and I think that is important. And you're saying that you want to, you know, be clear and as upfront as possible, so that I, I think the underlying assumption or the the underlying assumption I'm making that you were sort of implying is that we have other examples of like companies that come along and offer great free services. And then you get into the enchidification curve where because they have to figure out how to make money, eventually they're going to screw over their users in some way or another. And it feels like, and I've been, you know, paying attention to you guys for, for, you know, about a year, a little more than a year now, it feels like you guys have been pretty clear, like you don't want to go down that path and that you want to be upfront with people and you want to figure out ways that you can exchange value uh, in, in an upfront and clear way that everybody sort of happy with in the end. And I know that you started with it, it Beeper originally cost money, right? There was a period of time where you were charging for Beeper and then you went free and you'd said, you were yeah. v- very upfront at the time, like we are going to charge for some features at some point. Absolutely. And, and yeah. so, and, and then I know, and, and we still have to, we're going to get to everything that's happened with Apple because I know that that may play into some of this discussion as well, because you introduced a separate app, uh, Beeper Mini, late last year that you were planning to charge for. Um, and, and there was there was a, a charge there. And so so where where is the sort of business model thinking at this point? Um, we are going to charge for Beeper. Um, okay. Probably not all the the features, but a subset of the features. And we're doing that, like I said, to form this very clear and transparent relationship where we are the service provider. Mm -hmm. Our duty is to be reliable and be a good steward of your data and privacy and security. And in exchange, you know, we are going to charge a reasonable amount of money. Um, We have quite, quite a nice history now of having run this service for several years. And... Um, we have both, you know, both that as well as kind of our longer history of, you know, running companies and and building services in the space to bank on, um, that having been said that there's, there's a component of Beeper that, that will be free in the future. Um, in particular, you know, we are looking to increase the number of people on the matrix network Mm -hmm. and, at the end of the day, most people expect chat to be free. It's unlikely that a 100% paid chat app will be able to go viral. Mm-hmm. Um, though you can kind of look at WhatsApp, you know, the really early days of WhatsApp where they charged, I think it was something like $1 per user per yep. year um, as a very, you know, reasonable, almost, you know, a bit more than token payment in order to kind of get access to a service. But uh, no, we haven't, we haven't nailed it down precisely. And that's one of the things that we're still working on as we get towards being able to take the wait list off and just let anyone right. have access to Beeper. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the Apple iMessage situation, <laughs> right? So now I'll, I'll say, I mean, I, you know, when I first started using Beeper and, and, you know, I think I first heard about it from an article that was, you know, basically framing it early on as like, oh, here's a way that you can use iMessage on an Android phone, or if you don't have, uh, you know, a Mac or or an iPhone, um, and um, and so you know, when I got on it, and and I I use Android. I don't have a Mac. I'm I'm a problem. I'm the green bubble in 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 various conversations. Um, and um, 
And so, like, I mean, that was marginally appealing. I don't care about being the green bubble, <laughs> frankly, but, you know, I know it, it is kind of important and, and it's nice in some ways to, to be able to natively, um, you know, communicate with people who are using iMessage in, in lots of ways. Um, but I did wonder, like, even from the beginning, how Apple felt about the the beeper setup with with iMessage and whether or not they were comfortable with it. And I actually kind of wondered if, if they had sent, like, we had no problems leading up for the, for the three years that right. we ran beeper um, beeper supported iMessage right from the get go. And we had no issues. And so you never That's even right. heard anything from Apple at all. Beeper's beeper's app is on the iOS app store. Right. And then you introduce beeper mini. And so beeper mini sort of used a, a different method for, for doing this. And so do you want to, I mean, I can, I wrote an article about what you were doing sort of based on my understanding of, but do you want to explain sort of why the Beeper mini approach to iMessage was different than the, what you were then calling Beeper cloud version of, of iMessage? So prior to Beeper mini, uh, the way that Beeper connected to iMessage was via a Mac server relay. So we ran a data center full of Mac minis, that were connected to iMessage on one side and Beeper on the other. Uh, and we use these as a means of relaying messages between uh, the iMessage network and Beeper. With Beeper Mini, though, we took a more direct path. Um, through the help of a security researcher, we reverse engineered the iMessage protocol and wrote a native uh, protocol wrapper um, that we bundled inside an Android app, a new Android app called mm -hmm. Beeper Mini that allowed Android users to download the app off the Play Store, uh, connect their phone number to the iMessage network so that their phone number would go blue if someone typed in their phone number, and they would be able to participate in iMessage group chats um, and send regular encrypted iMessage mes uh, messages to their friends with iPhones. Um, we thought that this was something that both iPhone users and Android users would really appreciate because up until this point, you know, as an Android user yourself, and you know, I'm a fellow Android user, uh, we were the green bubbles in, in conversations and, you know, all the Europeans and non-Americans <laughs> on, on the podcast, this is the point at which they zone out and say, what the hell are those guys talking about? <laughs> but, you know, here in the U S SMS texting is still for some reason, the primary way of communicating. Yeah. And by default, uh, communications between iPhone users and Androids um, are unencrypted. They're, they're unencrypted. Anyone can read them. Um, and they're, they're generally, they have lower features. You can't re react to a message. You can't see typing status. You can't see read receipts. The image quality and video quality is worse. Just generally, generally texting via SMS is, is a worse experience. And so with Beeper Mini, we gave Android users the ability to send blue bubble text messages to their friends with an iPhone. And uh, we generally thought, like I said, this would be a good thing for iPhone users themselves. Like, why would they not want to send, why would they want to send unencrypted messages? Why would they want to have a worse experience when they texted, you know, 50% of the population, which has an Android phone? Um, Apple had, took a Figured, figured differently in this. And even though <laughs> Beeper increased the security of 
iPhone users because it it caused you know previously green bubble chats to become blue. Uh, they um, took action to block uh, quite quite pernicious action to to block Android users from using um, Beeper Mini, and they published you know a statement that said that Beeper Mini is this unsecure. Uh, um, unsecure system. I can't remember the exact statement, but they, you, you could throw it up. Um, just a bunch of BS really. Yeah. Uh, to try to cover the fact that they blocked Beeper Mini because it offered um, Android users for the first time, the ability to send full, you know, blue bubble messages via, uh, via Android. And it's not like this feature wasn't available in Beeper before. It's more that we wrapped it up into a very clean, beautiful experience and made it, you know, two click easy, like two clicks to, to install and, and get started on an Android. And I mean, the point that you kept raising, which I think is, is a valid one is like, obviously it goes beyond like the color of the bubble. Right. But it was encrypted. Right. And it was a better, better security, better protection for both the, the Apple users and the Android users. They could communicate, you know, in a, in a much safer way. And I think, you know, another point that was that a lot of people raised, and you sort of mentioned it or hinted at it earlier in this conversation, is the fact that like iMessage itself really piggybacked originally on top of SMS. Um, and, and, you know, they were able to build iMessage by piggybacking off of that open protocol. And then when somebody comes in and tries to piggyback off of what they're doing, suddenly they freak out and say it's a, it's a security or privacy violation or, or whatever. Um, and so, you know, I, I mean, I assume that you you just outright dispute their, their claims on that. Well, it's not just that we dispute it. We've published uh, the entire bridge, the, the iMessage connection that we've wrote, that we've written mm-hmm. um, as open source code. We we publish it under the uh, AG Bill three. So mm-hmm. you don't have to take our word for it. You can read the code and see exactly what it works. You can run it and self host it yourself, and. We stand by everything that we've made. Um, and so I know like sort of through the month of December, there was sort of back and forth between, you know, uh, you guys and Apple sort of trying to see if you could get around their block and then them trying to block you again. Um, where, where does that stand now? What's the what's the current state, status of that? We published an update in December that enables people with an iPhone, a jailbroken iPhone, or a Mac computer to use the uh, registration kind of credentials generated by a Mac to connect to iMessage. It's not a great solution. Not everyone has a Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it's definitely not ideal. Like only a fraction of our original user base has decided to opt into this uh, kind of workaround. Um. But also in that message, you, you kind of threw in the towel a little bit and just said it's it's really like there are other things we need to work on as opposed to just kind of continue to do this? Or, or Yeah, we wanted to make sure that this wouldn't distract us from our primary objective, right. which is building this you know chat app that we believe is the future of communication. And so what's... You know, and also, like, I mean, this whole dispute certainly generated a fair bit of interest and including political interest. um, And multiple senators have come out and and made statements and kind of argued 
on your side, I don't think I've seen any senators come out on Apple's side uh, and and sort of question like why it is that Apple's in this position that it's able to to cut you guys off from from you know effectively improving Apple service for them. Um, do you? Do, I mean, I don't know if you want to go down the policy debate side of it, but do you think that there's is there a policy angle here in terms of like whether it is requiring Apple to open up or whether or not there's there's some other policy angle that you think would be valuable to Beeper? So there's a couple of angles here we could touch on each of them. There's a European uh, law called the Digital Markets Act that's yep. working its way through kind of the European Commission. Um, there's uh, the current laws on the books in the states that um, uh, that could be applicable from an antitrust perspective. And then there's some new laws that are being proposed by some of these senators to kind of further document and, and enforce um, these actions. But they all boil down to uh, kind of a fundamental question about what is your right to use uh, both hardware and software that you um, that you've purchased or or um, uh, decided to use. Um, there's also some questions that you know aren't very easy. They take a while to unpack and to and to really get get through because um, these uh, these players, like in this case Apple, which has you know more than fifty percent market share. Um, for uh, smartphones in the U.S. have made decisions that guide or steer you as the user towards uh, integrating more tightly into their ecosystem. Right. And in most cases, you know, you can imagine this as actually a good thing. Like people generally want to use services and tools that are more integrated, that are easier to use, that have a single sign-on flow um, that are integrated between all the different services on their phone. And so as a user, you may be nodding your head and saying like, sure, this is this is great. I, I see no reason why I wouldn't want to have a single unified kind of clean, easy experience. But the question is always at the extremes, at the edge. Mm-hmm. When, you know, when things go wrong or when things don't go exactly the way that you were expecting, how does how does the system deal with that? How does the system react? And what we've shown in this case of, um, uh, let's take a very specific example of, say, a Beeper user who has a Mac computer at home, but prefers to use an Android phone. They've paid to get into the Apple ecosystem. Mm -hmm. They've been a happy Mac Mac user, a paying Mac customer. They've started to use iMessage on their desktop because it's fully integrated with the operating system and makes it really easy to start texting. But when you decide to pick up an Android phone and take that conversation on the road, there is no way to stay connected to your friends and family. And so with Beeper, you can kind of imagine it as a third-party client for iMessage. That happy Mac customer has decided to say, I'm going to install this app on my Android phone and continue the iMessage conversation there. That is a bridge too far in the eyes of Apple. Mm -hmm. And it comes down to us, the tech community, to say something, to say this is actually, you know, an important, you know, critical component in the fabric of the internet, the the concept that third-party clients are not... uh, Yeah. Like... (laughs) 
an, an outrageous idea right. in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, and if we don't stand up for this, if we don't, uh, if we don't believe that this is a bridge too far, then it's possible that the, the, the noose will further tighten. And, you know, if you don't necessarily care about this issue because you yourself is, you know, an iPhone user and a Mac user, you know, you're happy to, to just kind of exist inside that. That's perfectly fine. But over time, you may find yourself uh, up against a big tech company that has a similar stranglehold over your communication, your documents, your you know your livelihood in some in some uh, in some manner, and unless people fight on these issues, it's possible that there will be no either case law mm-hmm. or more importantly, you know, case law in the court of public opinion to mm-hmm. say that this is you know a step too far. Yeah, and it's you know I I kind of I, I fear sometimes that having grown up in the early internet where this, this was common, this was the way things were done. Like the idea of third party apps for different services was that was, that was everything. And that was part of the, the appeal and the wonder and, and, you know, just the, the things that were good about the internet was that people could build all different clients for all different kinds of services. And that was, you know, in fact, part of how we got all these different kinds of innovations, because people would, you know, try different things and experiment in different ways. And I feel like we've really lost that, especially in the last decade, maybe decade and a half, where we've gotten so used to, you know, the four or five giant companies and the sort of, you know, silos and moats that they've built. And to the point that I'm I'm almost amazed at how frequently I still see people defend that, defend Apple cutting off beeper and saying, well, no, you know, it's Apple's system, you know, of course they should cut them off. And, and um, I fear that we've sort of reached this, this turning point where like younger people who have grown up with the, with these walled gardens don't even realize like, no, like the natural way of the internet was supposed to be that anyone could build on anything and you can, you can have third party clients. And in fact, that's, that's kind of an integral part of, of the way the internet works. Um, and so I'm I'm always like that's one of the reasons beyond just like the usefulness of Beeper. One of the reasons I was excited to see Beeper was like to me it was sort of this return to that that sort of ethos of of the the earlier internet and the way things were supposed to work, where people just you know if you want something better, build it, you know, build it yourself and connect it to things and build on top of these other things, and that's how we get a, a better internet and better services overall. Um, and so. Like I, I, I totally agree with you, but I'm, I'm, I'm worried by some of the response that I've seen that people, you know, have sort of don't realize that that's the way the internet is supposed to work. I think the the last month has done wonders for helping to wake people up and to begin to imagine, you know, what the world could be like if there were alternative clients for some of the services that they love. Um, but it's not going to be, you know, done in a month. Yeah. If you look at some past antitrust battles that have been fought. This is, uh, you know, in particular around telecommunications, around AT&T, around deregulation. This is a multi-decade at some points battle. And I think things will be a bit more compressed than the, uh, the past timelines, (laughs) but it's not going to be done in, it's not going to be done in a week. It's not going to be done in a month. It's not going to be done in a year. This is something that, you know, the people who care about need to pay attention. They need to 
uh, take positive action in their lives to be able to kind of support and um, and nurture ideas that they care about and be committed, you know, make decisions in your own technical, you know, computing life that support these um, or, or kind of support the policies that you, that you, that you approve of. And um, have, have you heard from any of the other, I mean, you, you know, you provide a service that covers a bunch of different, you know, messaging services. Have you heard from anyone else or is Apple the only one who's only concerned? positive things from other people so far? That's, that's good. That's good. Um, you know, cause when I first saw it, like it reminded me and, and regular listeners of this podcast are going to get annoyed. Cause I always bring this up, but like the, the case that I keep pointing back to is like the beginning of the end of, of what had been the, the open internet was like the time that, um, Facebook sued power ventures. Um, and I don't know how familiar you are with that story, but like there, there are some parallels there. Right. And so that was, you know, power or power.com power ventures, however you want to refer to it. They had built this sort of universal interface for various social media platforms back in an era where there were, you know, multiple, I guess we're, we're coming back to that in some ways. Um, and, um, and Facebook used, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which is like this anti-hacking act, um, as the the tool, and were unfortunately, in in my mind, successful. And um, you know, power went out of business. They went out of business earlier because the cost of the case was too much. But even so, they ended up losing that case. And it sort of, to me, set in motion this idea that you know a company can keep out third-party apps um, and and use the CFAA. So to some extent, like. I think it's a good sign that most of the other services aren't freaking out about this and have, and in some cases, I guess, praised it and supported it. Um, and that we haven't seen like another crazy CFAA case. I, I hope you don't ever have to live through that. <laughs> but um, Yeah, there's been a few pieces of case law that have come down the pipe since then. The biggest one being Van Buren, yep. which was a, a, a case of uh, privileged uh, kind of um, credential escalation that was cited uh, kind of in support or in support of the more open, open kind of standards, open side of the battle. Right. Um, There's also been some case law around uh, HiQ versus LinkedIn, which was a scraping case that kind of solidified uh, the right for companies to scrape, you know, public web services. Yeah. Though there was a a weird sort of, uh, it was funny because the high Q case, like everybody reported on the original ruling. And then there was a follow-up ruling that sort of still said high Q loses, even though they, they won on the CFAA angle, but then eventually they still lost. So there were still some limitations on that. So definitely, I, I still think like, you know, and scraping is a little bit different than just than what you guys are doing. You're not scraping data. So I think there's some different issues there. Um, but, you know, we've we've spent a lot of time in which it's been sort of messy, and I do hope that the, the sort of pendulum is swinging back on on a variety of fronts. Like in terms, I of- I think at the end of the day, you, these are your personal connections. These right. are your these are this is your contact list. These are your friends. They're your family. This is not a matter of you know third party data or anything else. This is your data, right? And the question is, should you as an individual be in control of your own personal data. Um, yeah. Should you have the right to be able to 
download it, to, to back it up, to store it, to transmute it, to um, to access those those services on any device that you um, that you yeah. uh, that you have, and that's that's the issue at stake here. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that was also the issue at stake in Power.com. <laughs> and, and so- no, Power's specifically was about accessing data created by other individuals. Like it was accessing, you know, that's your entire true. stream of content created by that's true. You know, your, your that's social true. media stream. In the case of messaging, this is like strictly your conversations there. It's right. your data. Right. Yeah, that's fair. That's, that's a fair distinction. Um, and do you, do you envision, I mean, you, you sort of talked about, you know, you didn't want to create the XKCD you know, here's another standard version, but do you envision like a future possibility in which then Beeper eventually you get enough users and you could, you know, via matrix or however, have, have your own sort of messaging that isn't directly through some third party, some, someone else. Absolutely. So Beeper, Beeper, every user of Beeper gets an account, um, on the Beeper matrix server, which you can use to connect with anyone on any matrix, uh, matrix server. There's no lock-in. And we even provide instructions on how you can self-host a matrix server and connect to all of the different networks using our open source bridges that we've developed. I think that's a really key value proposition that we offer, which is there's no lock-in to using Beeper and you can you know, continue to chat with friends on Matrix, even if you choose not to use the Beeper client or, or server. Right, right. Cool. Well, I mean... As I said, like I'm, I've been following along. I've been using the app, um, you know, since I got access to it, and I've been telling lots of people about it. And it's been really interesting for me to follow, kind of all of the adventures, I guess, that you've gone through. But it, you know, it, it, I, I sort of view it in this larger picture of, you know, of, of moving back towards this world of more decentralized things with third-party apps and, and protocols as opposed to just having to deal with the silos. And so I think you're sort of exhibit A for me of, of really interesting companies proving that that can work and that, that, that that's a better world and that's the world that we should be in. Um, and so I, I'm excited that you're doing what you're doing uh, and I'm happy that you're able to come on the podcast and talk about it. Well, thank you for inviting me on. I'm glad to chat about it, and I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's going to come up more often. Yes, this is uh, this is not um, not the end. Yeah, but you know, but but having examples. I mean, honestly, you know, when I was talking about this stuff five, six, seven years ago, not having too many examples to go with, or the examples I was having were ones that were shut down or gone out of business. Was, was 10, 15 years old. Yeah, yeah, was 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 kind of depressing, and so seeing seeing you know, a real life, really good, very clear value proposition app out here that's doing it and doing it well um, has, has been really great. And so I'm excited to see what you guys do next. Um, and I'm excited to, to figure out what's... We're going to keep fighting the good fight and excited to have, you know, support of people who have a similar vision for the future. Cool. Well, um, yeah. And, and as you grow, you know, obviously I'll, I'll pay attention, but, but let me know if, if there's anything interesting coming up or other stuff that's going on. Um, as, as I said, it's very cool. If, if you haven't, uh, been using beeper, you should check it out. This is for the listeners now. Uh, please check it out. Um, there is apparently still a bit of a wait list. Um, but, um, 
I apparently have some invites. I can get some people in, but don't don't flood me with requests, please. Um, but uh, it's it's a really cool app, and uh, I'm I'm excited to see what happens. So, th- thanks again. Thanks very much, Mike. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thanks for joining the podcast, and thanks to everyone for listening as well. And we'll be back next week. Back. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and think of the tap. Back.